Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at this hour... South Sudan's peace talks set to resume in Addis Ababa. Rights group express concerns over press freedom in the DRC and Zimbabwe bans trophy hunting after international outcry. In economics, South Africa's ruling party calls for a state-owned mining company. And in sports news, doping claims harm reputation of Kenyan athletes. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Security forces in South Sudan have shut down a key newspaper and radio station for allegedly promoting a proposed peace agreement aimed to end 19 months of civil war. The Citizen Newspaper and the Office of Free Voice South Sudan, a U.S.-backed radio station promoting peace-building efforts, have been closed. South Sudan's civil war began in December 2013, when President Salvakir accused his former deputy Rehik Macha of plotting a coup. Regional mediators have given South Sudan's rivals until the 17th of August to stop the bloodshed. U.S. President Barack Obama has been lauded by the U.N. Secretary-General for his strong support for human rights. Following a meeting with President Obama at the White House, Ban Ki-moon said the rights of people in conflict areas are being abused. He commended the President for his leadership on South Sudan and his support in tackling climate change. They also discussed how to mobilize 100 billion U.S. dollars for climate financing. Leader of South Africa's Economic Freedom Fighters Party, Julius Malema, says he'll be ready for South Africa's President Jacob Zuma in Parliament now that he no longer faces criminal charges. The High Court in Blokwane yesterday struck from the role charges of fraud and corruption against Malema and two co-accused. The judge ruled that the National Prosecuting Authority had waited too long to present its case against the allegations. Malema says he wants to ask President Zuma why he will comply with the when will he comply with the public protector's remedial action regarding the Nkandla report? The report showed the president unduly benefited from upgrades at his private home. Malema says he's happy he'll now continue with his work without any obstacles. I will be in parliament 
Zuma will know us better because we are free. We are free to be parliamentarians. We are free to execute any responsibility given to us by our people. South Africans in prison in Thailand say allowing them to serve their sentences at home would be a humanitarian gesture that would save the South African government a lot of money. Eleven South Africans have sent an open letter to members of parliament asking them to consider a prison transfer agreement. The government of Thailand has extended an invitation to all foreign missions which have citizens that are incarcerated there to enter into an agreement that would enable citizens to be repatriated. 37 countries have accepted the invitation and South Africa is not one of them. Zimbabwe's Professional Hunters Association say a total ban on hunting will be a fatal blow to wildlife in the country. Hunting stakeholders held an emergency meeting in the capital Harare after the recent ban in Hungwe area. Hungwe is where Cecil the lion was killed in what authorities described as an illegal hunt. The ban came after claims that a second lion had been killed in April, allegedly by another American hunter. Professional Hunters and Guides Association Chair Louis Muller. We got some clarity from from the government that this is a very isolated properties where the where the monitorium on on, on these animals is going to be. So um, and it's much needed, unfortunate for those tourists. So we will now go and inform them to to stop hunting. Um, I don't think that it's going to be a, a huge amount of people. Uh, it's hard for me to say the exact amount, but it's, we're talking about less than half a dozen people. And finally, elephant tusks weighing 262 kilograms have been seized at Zurich Airport in Switzerland before they could be shipped off to China. Swiss customs officials say at least 40 elephants were killed to acquire the tusks. The officials say the contraband ivory was found stored in several suitcases that three Chinese couriers had brought from Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. China is considered to be the world's largest ivory market. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za and also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Freedom for Journalists, FFJ, has expressed concern over the treatment of journalists in the Democratic Republic of Congo. As Jean-Noël Bamweza reports from the capital, Kinshasa, the organization promoting press freedom believes journalists are unable to do their jobs freely in that country. 
The statement has come out at a workshop freedom for journalists organized here in Kinshasa, the capital city of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The organization that promotes press freedom believes it's not too easy for journalists to work freely in this country since they are under serious surveillance at each step of their work. This is due to the current low governing freedom of press here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Freedom for journalists describes such a law as a very bad one since it allows journalists to be arrested for defamation, while many countries do not look at this as an offense anymore. Freedom for Journalists has then called on the DRC government to put in place a law that would be suitable for journalists to work freely since their mission is to inform the community on anything happening around. And according to the Freedom for Journalists director Desiree Israel Kazadi, the situation journalists are facing here is not really good and this needs to be corrected. The journalist in DRC is not uh, free. We explain the situation of journalists is not good. I take an example. For defamation, our government arrests journalists. We continue to ask our government not to, to arrest journalists because his mission is to inform the community. We ask our government to give us a good law because uh, the current law is uh, very bad. I can take, for example, Rwanda, don't arrest journalists for uh, defamation. That way, in uh, freedom for journalists, we defend the journalists. We have lawyers. If a journalist is arrested, we ask our lawyers to defend our journalists. We ask government to give journalists freedom in uh, our country. It's necessary for our democracy. It's necessary for our country. Tens of journalists from different media, including radio television journalists, newspapers, online journalists, photojournalists, filmmakers, and others who have attended the workshop told Channel Africa it was a good opportunity for them. And according to this keynote speaker, Yves Kalikat, journalists operating here in the Democratic Republic of Congo need to understand the way press freedom is for them to know how they can come together and ask authorities to bring in a suitable law so that they can do their job freely. We want to help many journalists of DRC, journalists from television, radio and newspapers to be able to help in our country. We want journalists to be able to help men and women to favorize an equilibrium. Equilibrium without a man and a woman. Our formation was planified on uh, six days. And uh, journalists who has uh, participated, journalists from uh, television, radio, and uh, newspapers. Meanwhile, most of journalists here believe things will change and they will definitely do their work the way it needs to be done and with the whole freedom it needs. Jean Noel Bamoise, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Attacks on a journalist and a well-known human rights defender in Burundi has prompted the United Nations Human Rights Office to issue a call for restraint from all opposing groups. News agency journalist Esdras 
Ndikumana was allegedly assaulted by state security forces earlier this week, while rights activist Pierre Kleva Mbonimpa was targeted in a separate attack. The assaults come after the killing of General Adolf Nshimarmana in a rocket attack at the weekend. More from OHCHR spokesperson Cecil Puili. There is a sense of fear in Burundi, especially in Bujumbura. You know, since the assassination of General Nshirimana, there has been a number of mass arrests and further escalation of violence. We've seen a human rights defender who's been attacked brutally. Can you give us a bit more detail on what happened in this attack? He was shot four times, wasn't he? Absolutely. Pierre Clavier Mboimba was attacked by two people on a motorbike. That was last night, and he was severely wounded, including in the neck. He's now at the hospital hospital still seriously wounded and we've all seen another attack on a journalist and the RFE FP correspondent who's been brutally arrested by SNR agents. SNR being the National Security Force? Yes, absolutely. So he was on the crime site where the general was assassinated when he was arrested by these agents and he was taken to their headquarters in Bunjubura. And there he was uh, tortured. He was told he's a journalist enemy and he's now been released at that hospital with a, a finger broken. He's just gone to surgery for that, but he's also endured psychological trauma. Obviously. Can you tell me about the detentions that we're aware of? Around 600 people have been arrested in recent months and they are still in detention. What are their conditions like? Why are they being detained? We have quite a good access to different places of detention and the situation, of course, varies from one place to the other. In some places, conditions are a bit difficult in terms of logistics, so people are not in good conditions of detention. In some other uh, cases, there have been reports of ill treatment. And, of course, because we have this access and we do on a regular basis, we try to follow up on cases and raise our concerns with the authorities. Is there a sense that the situation is deteriorating? with rocket attacks at the weekend, for example? Well, clearly the assassination of the general has raised many fears. I mean, you can see the population is expecting further violence. That's why we're calling for restraint. But obviously, yes, it's been a very critical moment, this assassination, and we fear what's coming next, and that's why we're really asking all sides not to resort to violence. That was Cecile Puyli, spokesperson at the UN Human Rights Office, speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The ad hoc committee formed by the African Union to join Intergovernmental Authority for Development, IGAD, in the South Sudan Peace Talk says that it is ready to use its regional experience to help the IGAD region find peace in South Sudan. South Africa is the chair of the five-country committee. South Sudan will now be mediated by a team called IGAD Plus. Coleta Wanjohi reports. 4th August of this year is the day when the government of South Sudan and the rebel faction, led by rebel leader Riek Mashar, is expected to have finished reviewing a compromise agreement that was presented to them by the IGAD Plus mediation team. The warring parties are expected to arrive in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, as from the 5th of August, with their common positions ready to continue with peace negotiation. As the parties are expected to arrive, they will engage with a new and bigger mediation team. South Africa, Nigeria, Algeria, Chad and Rwanda are now part of the mediation of South Sudan. 
there has been speculation about what these countries will offer and yet they are not in the region where South Sudan comes from. South Africa is the chair of this team which in essence is an ad hoc committee formed by the African Union into the South Sudan mediation. The ambassador of South Africa to Ethiopia, Ndumiso Nshinga, explains that being far from South Africa doesn't mean that the team of five cannot offer much needed support. Regional mechanisms, by virtue of their familiarity with the situations in their respective regions, are best placed to provide guidance on ways and means of resolving conflicts. The same countries of the new ADAC Committee of the African Union into the South Sudan mediation are the same countries that sit in the African Union Peace and Security Council. Some experts therefore feel that this was a practical move by the African Union because now it means that the African Union Peace and Security Council will have a first-hand involvement in the South Sudan mediation, unlike before when it had to wait for IGAD to brief it on progress. Ambassador of South Africa to Ethiopia, Ndumiso Nshinga, says that the African Union Peace and Security Council, of which South Africa is a member, is reviewing the Commission of Inquiry report into the human rights violations in South Sudan that is yet to be made public. It is thus imperative that there is coordination among various peace initiatives and that all those concerned agree upon a common and coherent approach towards achieving this objective. Under this new mediation mechanism of the IGAD Plus, the South Sudan warring parties are expected to sign a peace agreement by 17th of August 2015. Call it for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1992. Nelson Mandela leads about 100,000 people in Pretoria in a protest to end white rule. Addressing an enthusiastic crowd of NC supporters messed at the grounds of the union building, Mr. Mandela asked for what he termed an appropriate response to the ANC-led tripartite demands by the South African government for an interim government, a constituent assembly, as well as an end to the violence. The ending of violence, the immediate installation of an interim government, and the free and fair elections for a constituent assembly, these three categories of demands constitute the 14 demands we have made to the government. Unless they are met satisfactorily by the government, negotiations can, cannot, and will not resume. All South Africans, black and white, in every corner of our beloved country, want peace economic stability, security, and a happy future for their children. And that was Nelson Mandela addressing protesters at the Union Buildings in Pretoria on this day in 1992. Standard Bank Top Women Awards revealed gender-empowered businesses in South Africa. On the 6th of August at Empress Palace, the event is a collaborative platform dedicated to recognizing outstanding leadership, inspiration, vision and innovation in organizations which have stepped up and shaped women's roles within the private and public sectors. Contact Babalom Kobeni at 086-000-9590 to book a table or a seat at the awards or visit www.topwomenawards.co.za. 
For more info, quote Channel Africa to claim your 10% discount. Be part of the conversation and join our social media platforms on Twitter at Top Women Awards and Facebook at Standard Bank Top Women Awards. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South Africa's opposition economic freedom fighters leader Julius Malema is a free man for now. This comes after his fraud and corruption charges were struck off the roll in the High Court in Bulukwane. Judge Billy Mudle ruled that the case has dragged on for too long and rejected an application for another postponement by accused number five, Kachiso Dichabe. Amos Pacho reports. I have a sense that starting from 2012, up to 2015 is too long a time for any person to have a sword hanging over his head. And I'm not willing to subject the accused to that particular ordeal once more. And for that reason, the case is struck from the roll, and the, the bail that has been paid by the accused will be refunded. The prosecution, when it's ready, it will then uh, reconstitute the court and save the indictments on the accused when and should it want to do so. A decision warmly received by Malema. A smiling Malema shook hands with his legal team, colleagues in the EFF and family members following the judgment outside court. He praised the judiciary, saying it remained independent in the midst of political battles. However, he didn't have kind words for the prosecution's authority. He says the ruling proves the state has no case and is being used to settle political scores. I want to thank everyone who stood by me and believed in my innocence. The judge said I'm free and South Africa should know from today that I'm free and on Thursday I will be in Parliament, Zuma will know us better because we are free. We are free to be parliamentarians, we are free to execute any responsibility given to us by our people. The case was struck off the roll after accused number five, Kahiso Richabi, asked the court to postpone the trial until early next year due to his ill health. However, legal teams for Malema and co-accused Lisiba Gwangwa wanted the state to separate their trial instead of a postponement. The state suggested that the trial continue without accused number five and opposed separating the trial. Despite the setback, the NPA remains convinced it has a watertight case against Malema and his co-accused, spokesperson Luvuyo Mfaku. We still maintain our position that we are ready to proceed with the, with the trial. Uh, the delays in proceeding with the matter were not occasioned by the NPA. You heard today that accused number five was not in court. And we couldn't actually proceed with separation of charges. We wanted all the five accused in one court to answer to the charges. I can only assure the public that a strike-off is not a verdict. It's not an acquittal. Uh, it can be reinstated I mean, on the basis of approaching a, a relevant DPP with jurisdiction. To, to issue a certificate reinstating the matter. Malema says he stands forever ready to defend himself in court should the NPA decide to reinstate the charges. The facts are there, uh, the law is there, you, you just take the matter before court. But if it's a political case, you always run out of facts. And you know that for me to appear before the court with this non-existent effect, I'm going to embarrass myself. So what do you do? 
you always run away from the courts, but leave your accused with a dark cloud. There's no dark cloud hanging over my head today. If they want to bring it, let them bring it afresh. I'm not scared of them. I'm ready for them. The EFF leader's focus now shifts to Thursday, where he has promised more of the same when President Jacob Zuma responds to oral questions in the National Assembly. They again plan to ask him when will he pay back the money used for non-security upgrades at his Nkandla home. I'm Amos Paro in Polokwane. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A new molecule molecule found in a rare cancer that primarily affects young children holds the key to developing an effective treatment for the disease. This is the crux of a new study conducted by researchers in the United Kingdom. The molecule is called arginine, which is a key energy source for the body's immune system and acts as one of the building blocks for the body's functions. To find out more on this, Elizabeth Ledicha spoke to author of the study, Dr. Francis Musai of the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. So this was a study that was performed in my laboratory at the University of Birmingham, which is run by myself and my colleague, Dr. Carmela DeSanto, and involved collecting samples from patients who are children with a particular cancer called neuroblastoma. Neuroblastoma is the most common pediatric solid cancer. In the UK, for example, that means about 90 new patients a year get diagnosed. Neuroblastoma itself is quite a poor prognosis, so we treat it quite intensively with chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgery, and also they get this new form of immune therapy. And despite that, patients with high-risk disease do badly. So we really wanted to ask the questions about why is it that some neuroblastoma patients do badly despite all this treatment, including immune therapy? And how is it that neuroblastoma is able to escape from being destroyed by the immune system of patients? If you could just help us understand what this form of cancer is all about, doctor, and what causes it? So neuroblastoma is a solid cancer. It usually occurs in young children, often around the age of five, but can occur in babies as well, and also in older children. Although it's the most common of the solid cancers in children, even so all of children's cancers are rare, but we see a lot of it in the UK and I'm sure there are many patients also with it in South Africa as well. The cancer itself can arise anywhere along the nervous system in the body. Often it comes first in the tummy, but can also arise in the chest. And despite really a lot of treatment, patients unfortunately tend to become resistant to treatment and unfortunately relapse and die of their disease. On that note, I understand that treatments for neuroblastoma have often been found to be inconsistent. How optimistic are you about this one? I think there is a long way to go. I think there are a lot of people around the world, and of course not just ourselves, that are looking into the causes of neuroblastoma and also into what are the best ways to treat it. I mean, there have been some really significant advances in how All of children's cancers, including neuroblastoma, have been treated over the last 40 years with improvements in chemotherapy, with improvements in supportive care, and also more recently use of 
drugs and techniques that allow patients' own immune systems to recognize cancer and destroy it. But I think we clearly still have a long way to go, and I think that it will be many tens of years before we can really say that neuroblastoma itself is cured. What is the likelihood of these findings paving the way for more new and effective treatments for cancer? Well, we're hopeful. We found out that neuroblastoma is able to switch off one of the main ways that the immune system recognizes cancer and also we understood how neuroblastoma cells are able to switch off these new kinds of immune therapy. So now that we recognize that particular mechanism, that will allow us in the future to either make the new immune therapies more resistant to being switched off or we can look at other ways, other drugs that we can combine now to reactivate the immune system and make the cancer more susceptible to treatment. It goes without saying that such studies give a lot of people some form of hope, but what immediate challenges are you confronted with? So I think the immediate challenges are always how we convert something that we find in the laboratory into something that's suitable for patient development, and certainly new drug development can take many years. So in terms of if we were to find a way or a drug that was able to block neuroblastoma's ability to switch off the immune response, it may well take 10, 15 years or longer at the best before we were able to translate this into real benefits for patients. So it's certainly something that we're working hard here in our laboratory here and also with our collaborators across the UK to try to make some inroads into this. Finally there, what's the next step following the results of this study? So our next step will be to see if we can now block the way that neuroblastoma switches off the immune system. We will uh, either attempt to use existing or new drugs to do that and then hopefully bring that forwards into an early clinical trial for patients who have relapsed neuroblastoma to see if our new drugs could perhaps offer benefit for those patients. That was Dr. Francis Musai from the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom speaking to Channel Africa's Elizabeth Lidecha. It's 8.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Tanzania's four main opposition parties elect former Minister Edward Luasa as a joint presidential candidate. Security forces in South Sudan shut down a key newspaper and radio station for promoting a proposed peace agreement aimed to end 19 months of civil war. And Zimbabwe's Professional Hunters Association says a total ban on hunting will be a fatal blow to wildlife in the country. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Economic crime remains a serious challenge to business leaders, government officials and citizens in South Africa, with 69% experiencing some form of economic crime in the last 24 months compared to 37% of global respondents. 
more small businesses are realizing that their traditional cash management systems are making them vulnerable to criminals that are getting smarter by the day. To talk more about this, we are now joined on the line by Richard Phillips, Joint Chief Executive Officer of Cash Connect Management Solutions. Good morning, Richard, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Now, Thank Rich- you for the invitation. Great stuff. Richard, what does your company do exactly? We, we provide an integrated solution, a complete solution, to, a re- to the retail store uh, for, the, for the management of their cash. So it includes um, state-of-the-art technology, which we've designed in South Africa, which um, allows the automated depositing of cash uh, into a robust, electronic safe, I think is the easiest way to describe it. Um, And we monitor that safe uh, so that we can, one, take the risk away from the retailer immediately upon uh, the money being deposited into the safe, and secondly, we can transfer the value for that money into his bank account. And in so doing, we effectively remove the cash as a target for for armed robbery and, and, and burglary. Richard, is this where we see the sign? Normally when you're in a, in a shop or in a store, you see they put up a sign which says we don't have cash in the store or something to that effect. Is that, is that what... Uh, exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. No, I think... Exactly. 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 <laughs> All right. Was, uh, in, the old days, in the old days, it was, it was a manual drop safe, mm-hmm. but we've now progressed to an electronic uh, a drop safe service, which goes, uh, goes much, much further in that it now allows the retailer... To, to realize value in his bank account even before the cash has actually hit the bank. Now, Richard, what's the latest? Let's speak to um, the statistics and trends of business or economic crimes in the country. Where are we standing in terms of that currently? Well, we, in the retail space uh, and in business in general, we, we've seen a, a massive hike in, in uh, armed robberies uh, and burglaries uh, over the last few years. Um, the last official statistic um, was just north of 18,500 incidents in a year of armed robberies alone. Um, and and my, prediction, my prediction is that that will probably, we'll see the figures announced in September, and those will probably be higher uh, given, given uh, what we, we are seeing in the, in the streets. So, so it's, it's not a pleasant situation, and it is a consequence of the fact that Generally, the banking and CIT industry has got its act together, and the bandits are looking for softer targets, and they're finding them in the retail space. What are the retail retailers, um, what do they need to do to ensure that uh, they are safe and their employees are safe? Because obviously when, when criminals walk into a shop and, and they hold up the, the staff, you know, and with customers uh, um, in the store, what are they doing to, to sort of ensure the safety of their employees and the safety of their businesses? That's a terribly important question. I mean, the, the fact is that that in, in over 95% of, of attacks on, st- on business, uh, the target is cash. So it, it, it follows logically that what, when, what we need to do is get really clever about the way we manage our cash. We can't remove cash from society because the consumer demands the use of cash. We've had a, we had over 84% of all transactions in, in, in Africa, um, including South Africa, occur using uh, cash. So it's a consumer priority to have cash. So we've got to find ways of managing that cash uh, clever, but more clever than than uh, than we've done in the past. And if we remove cash from circulation, 
by using these uh, modern technologies and systems, um, the retailer effectively then creates what we call a, a stable emotional bank account. That's a, 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 an environment, a trading environment in which the staff are no longer threatened by the prospect of an armed robbery and therefore will start to relax and get on with the job of uh, 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 caring for, this, uh, for their job, uh, focusing on trading, looking after their customers uh, and getting on with life. So that's the, the consequence of removing cash in a retail store from being readily available for, for armed robbers to, to, to take. Now, Richard, in terms of your operation, are you only South African-based or are you available? Do you have operations on the rest of the African continent? No, we, we are still uh, only South African-based. We, um, we have been approached and we're busy looking at opportunities, uh, certainly in the SADC countries uh, initially, um, but we, we're, not, uh, we're not across the border at the, at, at the, at the moment. And so far, the, 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 the companies or retailers that you are working with or the businesses that you are working with, what is their response to the technology that you've come up with? Well, I mean, they are, they are realizing very significant improvements in their uh, overall, um, uh, overall state of, uh, of security in their, in their stores. So, I mean, for argument's sake, in the last year, we've seen a heightened increase in the use of uh, plastic explosive attacks against uh, retail devices um, uh, in general in, in South Africa. And, and, and not one of our customers in the past 24 months has reported an incident uh, in, in, in which uh, an armed robbery has occurred against them. So they are beginning to see the real, real benefits from, uh, from uh, using this technology and this, and this service. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. That was Richard Phillips, Joint Chief Executive Officer at Cash Connect Management Solutions. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. As the world commemorates Breastfeeding Week, a South African NGO, Milk Matters, says the length of maternity leave should be extended to give breastfeeding women enough time to breastfeed newborn babies. Elizabeth Briley from the organization says the current three-month maternity leave is insufficient as newborns require breast milk regularly as basic nutrition for their well-being. She spoke to Vusinkosi. The theme for this year is let's make it work. So it's all about empowering mothers who are going back to work and um, ensuring that they know their rights 
in terms of stressing or whether it be do they know that they're allowed certain by by law they're allowed actually two half an hour breaks in order to express when they're at work etc because I think a lot of mothers aren't aware of what their options are before they go back to work so a lot of mothers assume that they just have to stop that you know they have to give up breastfeeding which can be quite stressful for the mother and obviously we want the best for those babies. How effective has this new law been ever since it was legalized, the PMTCT? So the latest guidelines are from 2013. So that's um, from April 2013 to a couple of years ago. Um, And obviously it's been informed by a lot of research that's been done all over the world, but mostly in in Africa and South Africa. And um, what the new guidelines have shown is that if mothers who are HIV positive Um, are on their antiretrovirals and ideally they've been on their antiretrovirals for at least four months Um, by the time they deliver the baby they should, if they've been taking their medication daily and staying healthy etc adhering to their medication it's actually safe for those mothers to carry on breastfeeding Um, we know the risk of transmission via the breast milk can be less than 1% so um, those babies are really getting the best if they can get their mother's own milk and if the mother can stay on medication the risk of the transmission is really really low. How has the public worldwide have been taking this thing serious? I think it's going to take time you know it's you know the last 10 years we've always told mothers if they're HIV positive then we were advising them to formula feed so now you know only recently as you know as I said we've been informed by a lot of research and very good evidence-based research that has shown that it is safe for those mothers to breastfeed but we need to educate it's all about education and whether it's um, our doctors nurses and families you know they need to know what their um, what the latest um, guidelines are all about and and actually how safe it is so it's going to take years for all of this to be um, you know trickled down to the community you know like anything it's it's change takes time you know change takes time to evolve and and that's why we have to work really hard on on education and training whether it be our mothers to doctors nurses allied health professionals etc so is it safe to say that you haven't reached the level that you wanted in terms of of spreading this news no i mean I'm, i would, i think it's safe to say that absolutely i think it's going to still take you know, a lot longer for us to carry on with our education and, and training. You know, as I said, these things take time to evolve and, and to trickle down to the communities. So, yeah, it's, it is going to take a while, um, so we can only do our best. One could say the importance of breastfeeding is now public knowledge. What new information regarding breastfeeding do you have? Well, there's always research being published and released giving the benefits of breastfeeding. So we know, I mean, I know the public is fully aware that breastfeeding doesn't just protect the baby from nasty infections and actually lifelong diseases that they could potentially get, such as even, even it, it's amazing they've shown that even if a baby has been breastfed, when he's older, he's got less chance of developing obesity and diabetes. But also for the mothers that breastfeed, we know that those mothers who breastfeed have got less risk of developing things such as osteoporosis, ovarian and certain um, breast cancers as well. So we're always being, you know, there's continuing research happening in terms of looking at the benefits of breast milk because there's still so much, you know, about breastfeeding and breast milk that we don't know about. Let's talk about corporate mothers, the mothers that are working 
and are having have to balance their working yeah, and, and breastfeeding. Yeah. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's hard. I can. It's really hard. You know, going back to work for a mother is daunting. They're, you know, it's emotional having to leave the baby at home. It can be stressful. And it is really, really difficult. And, you know, maternity leave is only, it's four months. So, you know, it's not, it's not long enough. And yet we're saying that mothers should be exclusively breastfeeding their babies till they're six months of age. So, you know, the first thing we obviously need to look at is, is lengthening um, maternity leave for mothers. But also I think we need to educate mothers and um, educate employers as well. So big corporates or little businesses, so that they know what... Um, what the rights are of a breastfeeding mum. And if a mother is informed and she's empowered before she goes back to work, then and, and she knows what her rights are and what the options are for her going back to work, I think it can make it a lot easier. So I normally say to a mother, if she's going back to work, ideally a month before she goes back to work, you know, she wants to start thinking about it and getting her mind around it, whether that be she starts to express her milk and storing her milk in the freezer, maybe speaking to her boss and her colleagues and letting them know that she is coming back. But, you know, she may need um, time to express during the day and maybe ideally a secure little room where she can sit and express where she's not exposed and, and, you know, she's not in a dirty space. Like some mothers, you know, have had to express in toilet spaces, which just isn't, you know, isn't right. That was Elizabeth Briley, Director of South African-based NGO for Milk Matters, on the line speaking to Vusin Gorsi. Now, today we ask you, why are some mothers reluctant to breastfeed? What can be done to encourage them? Give us your thoughts on email at infochannelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277 277- Nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa One. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Our economics updates up next. South Africa's ruling African National Congress has once again renewed its call for a state-owned mining company. This emerged during a parliamentary debate on the state of the mining industry and its sustainability. The debate took place amid deadlocked wage negotiations in the mining sector. The ruling party argued the state should in fact own more than one company. The ANC says a state intervention is necessary to avoid job losses. Deputy Minister of Minerals Godfrey Oliphant says research shows that although the sector is under pressure at the moment, it still remains an important contributor to the gross domestic product. Some mining companies like Queen Gold, Platinum Coal and Iron Ore are going through a difficult time due to a dip in commodity prices. However, not all mines with commodities such as Platinum are making a loss, which point to the need to look closely into the mining structures of some big companies and their methods of operation. Opposition parties, however, blame government for a lack of policy direction and timely intervention to save the industry. EFF Member of Parliament Floyd Shibambu told the other MPs that the job cuts are going to devastate mining communities. Mines and mining corporations are not your friends. 
they are friends of profit as a matter of fact they are going to shed lots of jobs mining towns are going to be turned into ghost towns lots of families are going to be devastated Zambian sawmakers or rather sawmillers are now operating at 50% capacity due to the current power load shedding which has adversely affected the timber industry Zambia National Association of Sawmillers says that the loss in production last week increased from 30 to 50%. The association says the sawmillers experienced power outages of up to about eight hours daily, leaving them with only about one hour of operation. South Africa-based Iran Merchant Bank has ranked Rwanda as the ninth most attractive investment destination on the continent in its 2014-15 rankings released this month. RMB, a leading African corporate and investment bank with a presence in more than 35 African countries, compared the investment climate of 54 economies on the continent. South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Morocco and Tunisia are in the top five in that order. Authorities in Kenya say the country's national carrier, Kenya Airways, which has reported a record loss in its year that ended in March, requires a 600 million US dollar bailout to save it from collapse. James Chimanyola reports. According to Kenya's finance minister Henry Rotich, Kenya Airways, partly owned by Air France and the Dutch airline KLM, lost $294 million before tax this year. One U.S. dollar trades at 12.66 in South Africa, 998 in Botswana, 770 in Zambia, 64 British pound, 91 euro, gold 1092 dollars, platinum 974 dollars an ounce, brand crude 50 dollars, 92 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabiso Lohoku. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Culture and joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, Wilson Kipsang fears the reputation of Kenyan runners and athletics generally will be hit by fresh doping claims in the media, including allegations former Olympic medal winner had suspect blood readings. Britain's Sunday Times newspaper and German broadcaster ARDWDR say they were given access to the results of more than 12,000 blood tests showing more than 
800 athletes had given blood samples that were highly suggestive of doping or abnormal. Of the 800 reports, suggest 77 were Kenyan athletes. The World Governing Body for Athletics, the IAAF, has issued a statement in which they strongly denied the allegation. Those are just allegations. And uh, for a country like Kenya, which has been really participating very well in World Championships, Olympics, you find that uh, that one will not really scare athletes so much. And I think uh, we shall continue preparing very well and uh, focusing for the World Championships because... If you try to see, it looks like uh, there are people who are trying to damage the whole sport. Because when somebody says that Kenyan athletes are using doping, who in particular? So I think uh, for someone like me, I want to say is that uh, we want to be very strict on people who are just uh, coming up with uh, lots of allegations without uh, substantial facts. Kenya boasts some of the world's best middle and long-distance runners, but dozens of its athletes have failed drug tests over the past few years, casting a shadow over the success of Kenyan athletics. In February, Rita Jebtu, winner of the Boston and Chicago marathons, was banned for two years after a failed test in the biggest doping scandal to hit Kenya in recent years. Kenya's 2011 London Marathon winner Emmanuel Mutai says officials need to name the athletes suspected of doping as everyone is painted with the same brush. All the time they talk about Kenyan athletes, but you know it is better to be specific so that uh, to know who or who athletes are being uh, caught uh, by the doping so that they clear the names of the other athletes because if they generalize all the athletes, also the image of the Kenyan athlete will not be in a good uh, position or will damage uh, the image of the Kenyan athletes who are clean in sports. In local football, South African Premiership side, Bidvest Vets coach Gavin Hunt is building a strong side for the new season. And the early signs showed last night as they knocked Super Sports United out of the MTN 8, winning 3-1 after extra time in a quarterfinal match played in Johannesburg. Hans says the quality of debutants, Dane Clayt and Belembe, was there for everyone to see. We played good stuff in the first half. Jeez, we were really good and, you know, we made some great chances and we could have made the game safe, you know. And uh, But, you know, football works sometimes. They had the one chance and, you know, they scored and then we went to 10 and they made to hold the game a little bit. And uh, But still, we still could have won the game, you know. We had so many opportunities, but... But, you know, you've got to take it as a first, a first performance, a, lot, a couple of new players. But, I mean, uh, you know, the framework is there. It's just a matter of now adding all the new players who are still not registered and injured and that, you know. And that's why I want things with them. That's why I signed them. You know, they're fantastic players. Judging by Supersports United head coach Gordon Eggerson's statement, after the game, it's clear Kingston Gata will be disciplined by the club for the needless red cut that he received in this game right when his team was in control of the game going into extra time. And then, um, as I say, moment of madness, which uh, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very, very annoyed about. And I'm, I can't say I'm disappointed because, uh, you know, and, and at this level, you can't do something like that and what happened on the field. Um, but, you know, I'll deal with that eternally. I don't want to hang our washing out on the line. But I think, I mean, you're professionals and you know, you know what, I, I, I'm usually disappointed about it. And uh, I'll take care of that in, in the office. And that's your sport news this hour.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at this hour. South Sudan's peace talks set to resume in Addis Ababa. Rights groups express concerns over press freedom in the DRC and Zimbabwe bans trophy hunting after international outcry. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumusa Ramagaza and Khumuso Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or an SMS on 277-969-57930 or tweet us at Rise Shine. Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa is Kofi Olomide with a song titled Ravisi. <laughs>